talking tonight about Jesus and his full divinity, as Daniel just said, and now we think about his full humanity. And I think for any of us, if you are a born-again believer, if you've been in the church for some time, if you've read a good portion of your Bible, you don't genuinely doubt that this is true. Even if we don't understand it, that somehow 100% plus 100% equals 100% fully God, fully man. But maybe if you're like me, when you come to think about Jesus' humanity, you can't help, just out of esteem and love for Jesus, to just doctor his humanity a little bit, right? I mean, if Jesus, who we revere and we worship, has to be a human being, well then let him be the best human being there has ever been of all time. Let him be the best looking human being we've ever seen. I mean, he's got to be at least six feet tall, right? He definitely has to have a full head of flowing brown curly hair and a beard like straight out of Lord of the Rings. And we know he's Jewish, but it doesn't seem like one race could contain him. And so when we think about the race of Jesus, I think about those flight attendant safety videos. You know what I'm talking about? When you sit on a flight and you watch the, this model who's not really East Asian and not really Hispanic, but is somehow the best of all races put together. It's just a beautiful man or woman explaining what to do if your plane goes down in flames. That's how I picture Jesus' race. It's like the culmination of all the races together. And for sure, everybody agrees that he is fit, right? Everybody knows that Jesus has a six-pack. Everybody knows he is a fit physique. He's not like this huge bodybuilder. Nobody likes that. But he doesn't have a dad bod. He's like a UFC welterweight. That's what I picture. Like, he's not out there to pick a fight, but if push came to shove and there wasn't the whole Sermon on the Mount thing, he could handle his business, right? Jesus would know what to do. Now, I'm saying all that tongue-in-cheek, but I'm not the only person who thinks this because I have 1,500 years of paintings behind me that can't help but think that if Jesus has to be a human being, doggone it, he's going to be the best-looking human being we have ever seen. And if you're there with me and you think that with me, then join me as I encounter three people who totally offended me by things they said about Jesus's humanity. I distinctly remember three people saying something about Jesus as a human being that almost sounded blasphemous to me the way it came across, okay? So here's the three things. Number one, the first person to offend me as to the humanity of Jesus was Derek Thomas. He's the pastor of First Pres. He's actually a dear friend of mine, but I was totally offended when I was with him in the mountains and there was a group of us pastors and we were sitting around talking about Jesus and talking about his humanity and Derek posed a question to us and said, what if you had walked up to Jesus 2,000 years ago and you asked him if he could hum for you Beethoven's Symphony Number no. 5? Could he do it? Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. I can do it. Could Jesus do it? Now really that question goes to the heart of your theology of the incarnation because before I could say yes, Jesus could do anything, Derek said he wouldn't have understood you because he doesn't speak English. 
What? What did you just say about Jesus? He doesn't speak English? Are you kidding me? Let's fight. But wait a minute. The Gospels portray Jesus as a real man who grows in wisdom and stature. He's a man who has to learn through suffering. He's a man that when something happens in front of him, someone demonstrates faith, somebody does something, he can be amazed by that because he didn't see it coming. He has supernatural knowledge in one scene, but in other scenes, he is very, very human in the things he knows. I was offended by that. The second person to offend me was an author. I read this years and years ago. He was talking about Jesus' humanity and he was really talking about pastoral ministry and he wrote about Jesus' humanity in very unpolite terms. In fact, I specifically remember him saying that Jesus certainly in his 33-year ministry on earth at some point, somewhere, some way, must have passed gas. Like, who would say that? That sounds blasphemous. That sounds crazy. It sounds crazy to, like, give Jesus real, true bodily functions. Like, that he had body hair, and that he had to use the restroom, and he might have struggled with balding early, like some of us do. Like, Jesus might have actually had those things. Doesn't that, like, bother you a little bit? I mean, but then again, the Gospels portray that Jesus was a man, and he got tired, and he got hungry, and he got peopled out and wanted alone time, and he got stressed and was under distress. He experienced these same kind of physical things as we do. Number three, the third offender, the third person that said something that I wish they would just take back, is the prophet Isaiah. He writes of the Messiah Jesus in Isaiah 53, 2, He says this, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. When you're scrolling through your dating app and you see the description, no beauty that we should desire him, are you clicking yes on that profile or is that just like an automatic scroll past? I mean, have you ever seen a depiction of an ugly Jesus or a plain Jesus or even a repulsive Jesus? Doesn't it feel blasphemous? Doesn't it feel wrong to attribute any of these things to him? Don't they offend you like they offended me? Because it's hard to really truly envision Jesus as a full-blooded human being like the Westminster Confession says with all the essential properties and common affirmities thereof. It reminds me of that scene from Braveheart when the army is assembled and some of the new young soldiers are seeing William Wallace for the first time and one of them says, he's shorter than I imagined. (laughs) Yeah. Like I wonder if we saw Jesus, what kind of bubble would burst for us in seeing the true human Jesus? 
In fact, my version of Jesus wasn't really an incarnation. It wasn't God becoming a real true man. It was a deification. It was me taking a man in my mind and giving him all this God-like principles in every way. But the scriptures are absolutely unified on this point that the word became flesh. Not pretended to be flesh, not doctored flesh, the word became true, living, breathing, abiding flesh. Why would God do this? Why would God humble himself in such a way, not just to walk among us as a pillar of cloud and fire, but to really take on some of these gross and unseemly attributes of a human being? Why would he do something like that? Well, the scriptures say there's many reasons that he does this. He does it to show the wisdom of God. He does it to fulfill prophecy. He does it to become a perfect high priest. He does it to sympathize with our weaknesses. As Daniel says, the crown and glory of the incarnation is our atonement to forgive us of our sins. But let me in three minutes just give us one more reason why Jesus becomes a human being. And we'll see what parent is left in the room standing at the end of this three-minute illustration. Hold out. I read this in one of the ancient church fathers, Athanasius, and I love this description. He gives this illustration. He says, imagine a king lives in a realm and he's got a number of cities in his realm and he lives in one city, but he decides to move his residence from one city to another city. What happens to that destination city? Well, of course, all of a sudden, this no-name city rises in prominence and esteem and glory. And as the king moves with his retinue and his court and his soldiers with him, it's not a city that is soon to be messed with. I mean, can you imagine today if one of the presidents of the United States of America finished his term and decided to move to Columbia, South Carolina? Can you imagine what would happen to our city? The Washington Post front page, where is Columbia? Where did the president just move? Our city would rise in esteem and prominence. And that's what happens in the incarnation. God takes what was once beautiful in his sight at creation and has been ruined by sin and seems almost irredeemable if we're honest with ourselves and our hearts and our statures. And when God joins us in humanity, our prominence, our glory, our redeemability is raised and we will not soon be messed with in the Son. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what glory. Fully God, fully man, you have come and moved into the neighborhood and you have claimed us and raised the glory of being a human being who can now worship you in spirit and in truth. We praise you, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.